Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Betfred Cup Group A winners, Heart of Midlothian, still unbeaten over 90 minutes thus far this season. And there, Mark Donaldson, is probably where the positivity this week's podcast ends. That was impressive. I have to say, <laughs> if I hadn't seen any Hearts games this season and I just listened to you there, I'm thinking, yes, this is going to be a great season. But do you know what? If Ollie McBurney is worth £20 million, then anything is possible in football. Indeed, indeed. Um, we are coming to you from Musselburgh and Connecticut. Almost uh, had to postpone the start time because I got a knock at the door with someone coming round to talk to me about something. Um, I said I was busy recording scarves around the funnel. Um, but do you ever get that? Do you, do, you, do you get that much in the States still? Do people knock on your door want to talk to you about something, about a charity or selling you something? It's usually Jehovah Witnesses. Right. Oh, yeah, we, we, do, yeah, we, we, we live in the woods. Um, there's more <laughs> chance of a bear knocking on the door, as we heard a couple of weeks ago. Um it's weird, isn't it? That just as you're saying that, I'm thinking, hardly anybody knocks at the door anymore or rings the bell. It's like receiving a letter. When was the last time you received a letter? And I'm not talking a, a kind of a handwritten letter. Yeah, not not, not a, a bell or a promotional no. thing or something. Yeah. So a knock on the door, not a ring the bell, but a knock on the door or a handwritten letter. Let's bring them back. A handwritten letter is nice. I mean, knocking a knock on the door is usually a pain in the arse. I mean, the thing is, I always answer. But no one knocks on the door. You 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 ring the bell. Well, Go. I've not got I've not got a bell. I've got a a knocker. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, one of those. Oh, I, I'm I'm actually doing it with my hand, which is great because only me so, can see this. So am I. I'm sitting here. Um, uh, look at that. That's me going off on a tangent right right from the start. Um, let's get did, did they want did they want more of that or did they want less of that from all the the uh, the surveys that were filled I've, in? They were still coming in. I've not managed to get through them yet. Um, so because of knocks at the door. Because of people knocking at the door and handwritten no no handwritten letters, but I would like that. Um, I'd say someone send me a handwritten letter, but I don't really want to just start giving my address out willy nilly. So um, we won't go there. Anyway, um, you can send it to Timecastle, I suppose. It would find its way to me there. Saying what though? I don't know. Yeah. Stop talking shite and get on with the podcast. Okay, let, let's get let's okay. get on with that. So we, we've had our positivity. Now what? Well, this week we will talk about um, Betfred Cup. Unfortunately, despite the fact I guess Hearts won their group and went through, um, we've had two games since we were last on, and they certainly weren't quite as comfortable as we had anticipated before we left you um, last time. We'll talk about your favourite number eight and I guess look ahead to the start of the league season. So we were in reasonably good spirits when we left things last time, Mark. We recorded just before I headed off to Tynecastle for Hart Stenhouse Muir. You managed to tune in from afar. We kind of anticipated, I think we both predicted 3-0 victories for Hearts. We were hoping by the time we came on air today the strikers were all full of confidence after grabbing a couple of goals and we were comfortable group winners after two resounding victories against third and fourth tier teams didn't really end up that way and it started with a rather dicey evening in Gorgie last week it wasn't ideal it was a little bit of papering over the cracks to the extent of a lot of papering over the cracks. And our new uh, striker, who has been masked for about 10 years as a centre-back, uh, but he's actually a rampaging striker, <laughs> Craig Halkett, uh, came to the rescue. But it was the same old story, Laurie. Um, as much as I espouse um, the, the, the positive aspect every week or try to it's getting harder and harder to believe every week, and 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 that was tough. Now, I'll probably say more about Stennis Muir than than you will because I didn't see the East Fife game. I only listened on on Hearts TV, but that didn't sound good. But the Stenhouse Muir game, look, 
it was one of these creating a few chances, um, but not taking uh, not taking enough of them. And they didn't have many chances at all. And of course, they scored with it, and it was panic stations. And it's funny, in the five minutes between them being 1-0 up and, and Hearts equalising, you've got all sorts of tweets that you're thinking you're going to send in your mind. But thankfully, <laughs> as our favourite uh, piece of advice that's been given for social media, save draft, whether it's on your computer, on your phone, or in your head, just don't do anything rash, because then a quick turnaround. But it wasn't good enough. And and a, a 2 one win. And ultimately, um, it was a result like that that was an opportunity to boost a goal tally uh, because even if we'd beaten East Fife, uh, never mind on penalties, if we'd beaten them out, out of uh, of 90 minutes, we still probably would have finished second in the group. So the Stenhouse-Muir game for me, despite the win, was poor. So we moved on to East Fife, which, as you say, you um, could only listen to that one. So, I mean, end result, First time East Fife have avoided defeat against Hearts since the 70s. Um, so big result for, for them. Um, Hearts started with a decent tempo. I thought we'd got over the malaise a little bit. And then we got the early goal. And I mean, that's what you want. Start with a bit of purpose. Get on the front foot. Get that goal. You know, again, Halkett hugely involved. Great tenacity. Winning the ball. Um, dangerous cross into the box. And Walker with a easy finish in the end. But at halftime... I'd only noted down two chances. One of them wasn't even a clear one. Uche had a header from a corner, which the keeper tipped over, but I think he was always going to save it. So we had one clear chance and one half-decent chance. So we'd scored our main chance. But by the time you got to the end of the game, I mean, their keeper had really had not much to do. And I looked through my match notes and had two chances noted down in the first half. And in the second half, only really had two as well. A Michael Smith half-volley that he screwed wide and a low cross that Steve McLean couldn't convert. It almost rolled along the line, but still didn't end up in a proper attempt at goal. So by the end of the game, I, think we'd, I looked at the stats. We had 17 shots in total, but most of them were sort of tame, long-range efforts without any real conviction or thought about how we were going to approach it. I think Uche had maybe a couple of headers that went well off target. Same story, really. So... When it got to the, when East Fife had levelled, which was early in the second half, it wasn't like the Stennis Muir game of thirty minutes to go where it was sudden panic stations. Early in the second half, we had plenty of time to really go up the gears, and I guess get the goals that a side like Hearts should be getting against a third tier semi uh, professional team. But we never really did, and it's the same story. It's when a team figures us out and can start defending against us, whether it's Kilmarnock or. Hibs or East Fife or, I mean, maybe not Stenhouse Muir because we did create a lot of chances, but even the lower league teams we faced, we just don't seem to have any ideas. And, you know, we started just chucking Halkett up and we just started playing long diagonals by the end of the game. To me, that should not be happening, especially at this stage of the season. We're in the, the warm-up stage, so, I mean, results are maybe not a massive thing. We still won the group, we still went through. But at the end of it, Craig Levine was still saying a very similar story, and this wasn't the same as Dennis Muir for me. This wasn't a barrel load of chances where ball off the line repeatedly, keeper having a game of his life. The, the East Fife keeper had very little to do. So his blasé attitude to the end kind of concerned me a bit, just saying, oh, we, we passed up glorious opportunities, doesn't concern me at all. I would prefer him to come out and say, look, guys, that was really disappointing. I had to have a strong word with the players. It's not good enough at all. I understand the fans' frustrating frustration because he would have heard that. The supporters were not happy in that game. Um, I think some of it probably came across in my Hearts TV commentary because quite a few fans not too far from me were singing, we're in the wrong hands. There was some abuse towards Craig Levine specifically with some sweary words in it. Um, Vladimir Romanov's name started getting chanted, which is ridiculous in itself, but I think that just shows the frustration and while <laughs> I think shouting the name of the person who ultimately almost sent us into oblivion is certainly not productive, I feel where the frustration's coming from because it's terrible to watch the results are not good enough and the manager seems to be kind of just brushing all this off um, you know, we had some tweets. Andy Grant actually tweeted us after these five games saying, I want blood 
on around the <laughs> and scarves around the funnel. Wow. Um, and Waddle said, bad day at the office. Levine doesn't seem worried and fans are raging. If he wants to go, who would realistically replace him? What are your thoughts, Mark and Laurie? Um, so, Mark, I mean, do you want blood? Are you are you feeling that at the moment? No, not yet. But the leash is shorter than it was. Now, we had our moments last year where we were like, he must stay, it's time to go. Um, the proof of the pudding so far uh, hasn't given us much to go on. Uh, the start of the season, uh, as far as the Premier League is, is concerned, is, is not that easy. I mean, the away games are really tough. The home game, and Ross County we've got, who we, we have had... I don't know for how long. I remember when Levy first came up, 2002, three or whatever it was. We we lost all four games to them. We, we've struggled of late. Um, I'm talking over the last 10, 15 years against teams that come up. So I was looking at, um, at last season's preseason, which led to a really good start. And I was trying to compare it with what we've had this season. Now, we won 2-1 at Cove Rangers, didn't play overly well up there, but got the result. One on penalties against Wraith, and you're thinking, it's not been that good so far under Craig Levine. Then, boom, 10 goals in two games, 10 goals in five days, three for Naismith, three for Uche, striker scoring, two 5-0 wins, and a place in the next round. Now, what has changed? Well, we are unseeded again in the draw. And right now, I'd probably make Motherwell favourites the way that they're playing. Mm-hmm. So that could have been avoided by winning our group. We, we didn't do that. We haven't had a striker score yet. I'm not classing Jimmy Walker as a striker. He's a winger. No, no. So, so, so he scored. We, we've not had one single striker. In games against Cowden Beath, Stenhouse Muir, East Fife and Dundee United, not one, and Dundee United was at home, not one team in the Premier League. We have not had one striker who has scored a goal. So we hit the ground running. We had a a game at Hamilton, which was an easier start last season. We went a goal down, but then we banged in four, and we picked picked up momentum. What we've not done so far is started games well. Now, the Stenhouse-Muir game, Craig Levine came out and said he thought it might just be one of those days. And I understand where he's coming from because he identified a specific incident in which it was, you called it a stramash, um, it was four chances. Mm-hmm. Any of them could have ended up in the back of the net. Good defending. Graham Smith did amazing. The goalkeeper to keep it out. I just think we need to we need to score early. But to score early, you've got to. On the but we whole, did. We did against these five. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about Aberdeen or or going yeah, forward. Yeah. We we've had an issue with starting games. Well, we haven't. We've started games slowly towards the end of last season. And a chunk of last season after the start, we're not a team that's quick out the blocks. So I'm not sure what has changed over the past three months since the end of last season to the start of this. There's been various tweets that have been going about, and it's now it's like the political universe that we live in. There's very few who are who are on the fence anymore. So there was like a heart of moan Lothian. <laughs> um, and then there was like the pant wetters against the kind of, oh, it's always great brigade. There's just a lot of infighting right now, which doesn't help when the manager comes out and says that it's like move away. Comical Ali. Remember him? Move away. There's nothing to see here. Everything's going to be fine. Well, we'll find out. But if hearts don't hit the ground running quickly uh, this Sunday against Aberdeen, who are even money, by the way, which could be an absolute steal, then... It's not going to get any easier. Some concerns for me as well, and I'm sure other fans. I mean, tactically, I've got a huge, a huge amount of concerns about us tactically, and I think many have for a long period about Levine. I guess his ability, especially within a game, to I guess coach the team and tactically adjust things to I guess make Hearts more productive within a match. Um, it seems to always be very one-dimensional, very low tempo, without very much changing. And you know, the you know, game after game, it feels like this is just the same old story again. We're kind of we're knocking about, hoping that we'll eventually get chances and score. But when it's not working, are we doing anything differently? Are we moving things around? Are we changing positions? Are we changing our approach play? Apart from when you get to the end and we just start firing it long, I don't see much of that. 
And then pre-season, now I didn't see much of us pre-season before the Betfred Cup, that is, but I did check with some of the guys who are watching us. Other than the closed door, we've been playing a back four. And Levine said himself, I'm looking to play back four and more 4-4-2 formations this season. Okay, that's fine, you know, and we swap things around. We've had Berra, Halka and Suter um, rotating. But in that back four, okay, good. We're, we're trying to figure out that system. Back four, I get it. Try and be more progressive, especially at home, play 4-4-2. Okay, I liked it against Dundee United. It didn't work out in the second half. We had to go to penalties. We were feeling quite positive after Dundee United. But now Craig Levine's come out and said, eh, I'm going to play a lot of different systems this season. I'm probably going to play three at the back against Aberdeen. I've not done that for Betfred Cup at all. I've not done that pre-season. But, you know, well, probably have to go back three. To me, it has this really worrying smell of starting to flick over your plan A's and B's already and look for different options. And we've not even started the league season. There's proactive behaviour and there's reactive behaviour. When you're the parents of a toddler, reactive behaviour is, is what is required. When you're a manager of a football club, you would hope that proactive behaviour is, is something you have. Let's, let's do things. And if you're going to try something new that you haven't tried before in pre-season, why are you doing it in the first game? Surely at least one of the games. Now, you might have tried that. I think that, what, did they have a closed-door game against St Mirren? Yeah, he may well, as I say, I yeah, don't know about the closed-door games. So. But that, but sh- surely that's not the, the competitive um, atmosphere that you, you want to play something like that. We had a tweet from Kyle who said, little intel, we'll be playing a 3-4-3 on Sunday. So I thought, okay, who knows? Might be right, might be wrong. But you know what? If that is right, what would a 3-4-3 look like? Well, we know the three. A 3 one probably. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. I put this down on paper. Okay, so it's Suter, Berra, Hackett. Uh, Hackett. Halkett, sorry. At the <laughs> That'd be funny. Chris, Halkett, uh, Chris Hackett would come back and play as a centre-back. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so Suter, Berra, Halkett at the back. I would assume Smith and Hickey as the wide players. Maybe Mulraney with, with I don't know, Claire and Bozanic or Bozanic in midfield, which doesn't fill me with glee, and then Walker, Uche, Naismith. And you look at that on paper and you think, well, the spine of the team is not the strongest. The form Uche is in, I don't know if he would start, but looks like Washington might not play. Yeah. Uh, Naismith kind of has to play. But then that 3-4-3 quickly becomes a 5-4-1. Yeah. Because if we're pushed back, Smith and Hickey, or whoever the two wide midfielders are, become fullbacks or wingbacks. Um, and, and the two wide players in attack quickly become midfielders. So if it is a 3-4-3 on Sunday and, and that is the personnel or close to that, that even money Aberdeen is very, very tempting. And I mean, the other, th- the other thing that concerns me is the central midfield debacle. I mean, we knew that, we, we all knew that Arno Jume was very likely to leave and it transpired that way. And I understand to a degree when Craig Levine is saying, haven't found the right player. I'm not in a rush. Why have you not found the right player when we're days before the league season's going to start? I mean, we've got scouts. We've got a massive coaching team. It's the modern day. Why have we not found a central midfielder? when we know? Does that, does that player exist on Hart's roster right now? Is he part of Hart's squad? Possibly. Are we looking away when we should be looking closer to home? Maybe, but... And, and as Andy Irving, I think, has looked very, very promising. I thought he was good against Dundee United, obviously, despite the, the red card. But again, we're not playing him just now. So Irving and, Imagine Irving and Claire in the middle of the park. We spoke about this last week. If I see that as an opposition manager, as Hearts 2 in the centre, I just put three of my ball winners and uh, aggressive players in there and overrun Hearts. But do you not say that about, you pretty much say that about all Hearts central midfielders apart from one, and it's the one who we, we can't play for the foreseeable future. So uh, any two you put in there, even the talented ones, you know, the Cochrans and Irvings, Connor Smiths, who've got obvious ability, you, you need someone in there with them to at least give them a bit of control, a bit of aggression, because they're all still young and inexperienced. I know Irving's bulked up a little bit, but he's still very inexperienced at that level. I think he'll get overrun by a couple of, um, you know, hardy, experienced pros, even if they're not the same level ability-wise. It just seems like a gaping area, and Levine has said he needs a player there, but why have we not managed to find a player? It's the summer, it's a long summer. I just can't believe we've not managed to, to locate 
someone, even if it's a six-month loan deal or just someone that we can bring in to to give us a bit more bite in the middle of the park with Haring out. Do you agree with me that the composition of our squad is lopsided? Um, I agree that there's a big, a big hole um, at so, the moment. So, yeah, that's all you need to say. So it is lopsided. We've got a lot of players that can play at left back or left wing back. Yeah. But we've got, we've got, I think we've got a lot of players that are pretty similar. And it's, been the, the same, the it's been the same story for not even just the Levine reign, to be fair. I mean, no, a, no, lot, so, a lot so said with Nielsen new. and Cathro as well. I mean, This isn't something that's new. No. Now, Haring wasn't brought in to play the position that he plays now, but it worked. Yeah. But you've yeah. got to have, you've spoken about it before, in an ideal world, you've got two good players competing for one position. We can't have a situation where, in essence, the conductor of our orchestra, the man who breaks things up and starts the play for us, we can't have a situation that if he's out, we have no replacement for him. And that's the position that we're in right now. So I just think the composition of the squad is lopsided to an extent. There's a lot of X, but not much of Y. And then when the first choice Y is out, there's a gaping hole. That's a concern. And we're already talking about putting Halkett in holding midfield, which might work. But this, I mean, we started last season with a new signing, Peter Haring, Austrian centre-back, starring at centre-back, and very quickly he got moved to midfield and it worked. But at the same time, we're like, well, we signed him as a centre-back. Bit odd. And already this season we're talking about, okay, how do we start shoehorning other players into positions? This isn't, this is not a massive injury crisis. We have a couple of players out. It's the end of July. We're about to go to the start of August and the start of league season. We're already talking about how we shoehorn players all over the park to fit into some kind of system that might make us competitive. It just, it just concerns me a lot. I just don't feel we have enough structure about how we're doing things. It seems to be a lot of just chance about it. I'm just, look, I'm just looking at, at, at Livingston's um, games last season that Halkett played in. And more often than not, in fact, the majority, he played as a three. And, and that was at the back. He didn't play forwards or anything like that. He was part of a, a three-man defence. But it's, it's not something that, that we have tried um, that much. I don't think you... I mean, you've been at all the games, I think. Have, have we tried a three in any of them? It seems to me it's been a four all the time. This pre-season, sorry. This... Yeah, this pre-season. Betfred Cup, it's always been the four, and I checked with some of the other guys in the media team about the friendlies, because I didn't cover the friendlies, and they said it was never a three in any of the recogn- the, the open-door friendlies. So what does I, that but, tell us if we go three in Petodre on Sunday? That it was never a plan. It was not It was not planned to, to be that. Otherwise, you would have used it. And why wouldn't you have used it against Cowdenbeath or... You know, or against Ennis Muir when you obviously we didn't end up winning comfortably, but you'd expect it to be a comfortable game. Why are we throwing out there against one of the best teams in the league away from home in the opening day of the season? It just it just strikes me as something that we're already having to look at plan C and D, etc., which is a bit concerning when we haven't started the league campaign. Again, if we win on Sunday, three to one your cash. Good luck with that bet. I'd take that <laughs> bet from you. Um Again, there, there's the there's the fine line for us of, of not having an hour's worth of just moaning and, and groaning. But we have to be realistic because I haven't seen much of a difference from what we saw towards the end of last season and the start of this season. Now, the counter-argument, the devil's advocate, the Craig Levine argument would be, well, our season starts on Sunday, mm-hmm. which it does as far as the Premier League is concerned, the Premiership. But as a Hearts fan, realistically... We only have two chances of of, of success um, with our team every year. That's the League Cup or the Scottish Cup. Norrie Davidson was the last Hearts player to score a winner in a League Cup final against Kilmarnock in 1962. It's the Jobby Cup all you like, but it'd be nice to actually have success in it. We should have done better than we did against St Mirren uh, six or seven years ago and, and lost the final there. We got to the semis last year, which I... I think was was a decent enough achievement. Um, And we got to the final of the FA, the Scottish Cup. So we're not going to win the league. And we weren't fortunate to get through because 
we, we did enough in our games, but enough isn't good enough in a league, Group A, I think it was, that had no teams from our own division. We should have been a seeded team. We should be facing an unseeded team with a better chance of going through. But it is pre-season. The action starts Sunday. And next week's podcast is going to be interesting because I don't even think we need to get thumped. If it's more of the same and we lose, I think I think that's enough for the alarm bells to be ringing early doors because we have to see some semblance of improvement or something a little bit different. Because if we haven't, then it's just the same every single week. And there's, if there's no sign of change in the first few weeks of the season, I would be very concerned. Talking of alarm bells, let's let's ring a few now with some some stats. Um, I wanted to do a quick comparison. I, I found it interesting. The reason I did this was because we've come to the end of our Betfred Cup group, and at the final game after a penalty shootout defeat, we had a lot of irate fans giving players and management and even owners stick from the stands. It, it it took me back to a couple of years prior when we got to the end of our Betfred Cup group and after penalty shootout defeat to a lower league team we were getting a lot of stick from the stands directed at players and the manager. So Ian Cathro and Craig Levine. Now what I'll say, let's just a disclaimer from the start, I'm in no way claiming that Ian Cathro should have kept his job. It was untenable by that point. Hearts had to make a decision and they did and they got rid of him right call. However, just a couple of comparisons. So I think Ian Cathro really from, let's look from the 1st of February onwards, so after his tra- January transfer window, his first transfer window when he got to actually bring in some players and maybe move some players on, and we'll compare that to Craig Levine, because Craig Levine from the end of the January transfer window, I think that's when the pressures really start to mount on him, because we gave him a bit of the benefit of the doubt because of the injuries and the poor run we had at the end of the year and even in start of 2019, I think the latter part of the season is when people have really started to turn on him. So I had a quick comparison. So Craig Levine from the 1st of February, we have won 8, drawn 6, and lost 10. That's okay. in all games. Ian Cathro from the 1st of February up until the end of the Betfred Cup this following season, won 6, drawn 5, lost 11. So he'd lost one more game, but he'd won two less than Craig Levine. So you can Craig Levine's got a bit, bit on him there. But I decided to take out lower league clubs because we've played a few of those in the Scottish Cup and the Betfred Cup. So against top flight clubs since the 1st of February, Craig Levine has won three, drawn three and lost 10. So that's oh. 19% win rate and a 25% points haul from those, from the well, 25% of points, some of them are cup games I know, out of the the ones available. So 19% win rate. Ian Cathro against top flight clubs from the 1st of February till he left. 1-4, drawn 4, lost 10. So that's a 22% win rate. None of them very good. Neither, both of them very poor. Craig Levine's poorer than Cathro against top flight clubs in that period. So post-January transfer window up until the end of the Betfred Cup, which I think is his pressure point for both of them where things have really mounted. Um, Ian Cathro is a new manager a completely new manager, new to the club. He had two transfer windows. That was it, obviously, cut off. Craig Levine, a very experienced manager, been at the club for three years before he took over as manager. Obviously, at the club previously. That one doesn't really count for this argument, though. Four transfer windows. That Betfred Cup group, he only got one more point than Ian Cathro did in his Betfred Cup group. So, basically, the shootouts against championship clubs, Dundee United, Dunfermline, Craig Levine's went the way of hearts. Ian Cathos against Dunfermline went the way of Dunfermline, although it didn't matter. I realise that. But that's the only difference. One point difference. Obviously, Hearts went through this time. Ian Cathos' side went out. But when you compare it like that, and I suppose the other comparison is as much as Ian Cathos failed at what he was trying to do, I kind of saw what he was trying to do. He was trying to change the way Hearts played a bit. He was trying to make them a bit more progressive. It didn't work out. A lot of his signings turned out to be duds. I don't really know what Craig Levine is trying to do long term still in terms of the way the team plays. So when you look at it that way, I just found it very damning when you saw it. There's very little difference. And in fact, in that period from your mid, uh, mid-season mid transfer window till the end of the Betfred Cup, 
Ka- Cathro got more results, more points against top flight clubs than Craig Levine has in the in the same journey. I mean, that's three wins against top flight teams since January. That's alarming. That that's alarming. Now, Craig Levine had the spell to start last season that, that was excellent up until October, and, and then yeah. it all went wrong. Now there were mitigating circumstances, the mm-hmm. loss of of our best players and and whatever. But when we got them back. I didn't see the uptick that we were expecting. Now, momentum's a big thing. But we're going to speak number eight uh, later on in the show. That was part of your homework. And I was listening to uh, Steve Fulton chatting with Cy Ferry in this week's Open Goal podcast. And he was, he was talking about the memories he had at Hearts and, and how he absolutely loved it. Uh, was asked had he been back. And he, he, he said, oh, do you go now? And he says, no. Um, he's obviously, he, he takes a team now, he takes an amateur team, he's got his son down at Swansea, but he, he doesn't like the way that Hearts play. And he was speaking about, um, it, it wasn't a dislike for Craig Levine, and, and he, was, he, was, he was keen to point that out. There were a couple of things that Craig did that he didn't agree with, including putting him on as a sub when they all knew it was going to be his last game at the end of the season. Uh, for the last 10 minutes when most of the others who were leaving started. It was a meaningless so, game as well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and and look, there's two sides to every story. Uh, this is Stevie Fulton's side of things. But but he also made the point that they played kind of better stuff under Jim Jeffries, even although he won more kind of player awards under, under Levine. But he felt, and this is the first spell of Craig in charge, remember? Yeah. To, to to not to quote him, but to kind of uh, surmise what he was saying, or to 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 suggest what he was claiming that Levine has a style of play, which is fine if it works, but it a isn't the best and most pleasing on the eye, and 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 b isn't isn't that attractive. Now I don't care how my team plays as long as they get results. I'd like them to play well. And, and, and just saying that, I don't care how they play as long as they get results. I do to an extent. I don't want them just to be horrible every week and grind out 1-0 wins against teams that you want to be seeing them show a little bit of flair. But we should be doing better than we are, and we're not. And that apparently hasn't changed the style of play you know what you're getting, though. It's, it's not like you're you're appointing someone for the second time and expecting a totally different um, style of, of play. You can adapt. Managers adapt. Of course they do. But is Craig Levine different in his style of play second time around than he was first time around? I would, I would say yes, but possibly... I mean, a lot of there's a lot of similarities. For me... My memories, now Craig Levine was the first manager that, as a fan, I guess I really looked at how we play a bit more. I mean, I was when I first started going when Jim Jeffries was in charge, and I remember enjoying the games and we played well. We had a period of being bad, but I was, I was probably what between maybe ten to twelve, thirteen. I didn't really, I don't think, take a huge note of the style of the team overall. Certain players stood out that I liked, certain players I didn't like. But Craig Levine was when I first started taking note of, I guess, how we played. And away from home, he was always very, very cautious. We would always always joke about the fact that we kind of played for a point away from home. And if we managed to nab a, a win, it was just a bonus, no matter who it was we were playing. But at home, we were direct. We weren't tiki-taka. But I always quite liked a lot of, especially our home, our home games against non-old firm size. And it was, a, I think, a two-year period under Levine that we only lost to one non-old firm side at home and, and back then this is when Celtic and Rangers were spending millions tens of millions on players so they were just they were they dominated everyone so it was your other games that were um, your bread and butter and I quite like it was all action it was direct it wasn't overly complicated but we had pace in the wings we got crosses in the box you had De Vries was our obviously our focal point but I quite liked it and sometimes I actually think Craig Levine Mark II at home we don't get the ball moving quick enough, even if it's, you know, it's there's too much just knocking around, too much pedestrian, low-tempo stuff in the middle. Sometimes I'm like, we could probably do with some direct play just now. Just 
that's fine. I don't. I'm like you. I, I love a team that plays brilliant football. You know, some of the Barcelonas and Man Cities, and obviously teams of the past have, have played lovely stuff, and it's good to see when your team does that. But I equally like seeing a, t- a direct attacking team and it works effectively and it works well getting the ball up playing off a target man or getting it wide and getting crosses in the box i mean it's fine i'm like you i want a i want an approach that works that makes sense to, to the players you have and the games that you're playing but sometimes i think our problem is craig levine isn't maybe enough like he was as much as he was in the first spell i don't know if that makes sense i'm not expecting craig levine to create a Man City-esque, possession-based, tiki-taka football team. It would it, be very difficult to make that work effectively in Scotland, to be honest. But just being more... <laughs> just more more attacking in, t- in games that you should be trying to win, having more purpose about your attacking moves, not just knocking around endlessly. Possession means nothing if it doesn't have any end product. Yeah, yeah, we, we don't score enough. Um... I'm just I'm just having a look on London Hearts now, and you can do anything with statistics because there's mitigating circumstances. Like Robbie Nielsen, for example, had a 58% win ratio. Taken in isolation, you look at that and you think, wow, that's that's the best since George Burley. But then you see most of the games or a lot of the games were in the championship. But I wanted to compare a couple of things. Craig Levine's first spell in charge with Craig Levine's second spell in charge. Uh, his first spell in charge, 2000 to 2004, saw a score on average 1.34 to 1.35 goals a game. This spell is 1.28, so that's down. But this is interesting. His record and Paolo Sergio's record are practically identical. Paolo Sergio, 37, uh, 34% of his games were losses. Craig Levine's second spell, 35% were losses. Paolo Sergio's, his spell, 21% were draws. Craig Levine's second spell, 22% were draws. Paolo Sergio's win record was 44%. Craig's in his second spell is 43%. That's pretty close. Now, but, this, this, is, this is the big but, what did you enjoy more? As much as I'm saying, and this is what I want to go back to the whole, I don't care how we play as long as we win. <sighs> Part of me is going against that already, but I, I want to know if we score, we're probably going to win a game because we know we're tight at the back. But it's where the goal is coming from. It's starting games quickly. It's going a goal down to Stennis Muir and then just something clicking. Just the players, it wasn't attacking with gay abandon. It was finding a way. It was getting it done. It was the early goal against East Fife with nothing after that. There's positives, but there's negatives from that. So I, what we're trying to say here is that the jury is, is, is out and there's a lot more annoyance among Hearts fans. And I don't think he's got as much time, Levine, as, as far as the whole season is concerned, because I think the patience is going to run out. But what happens when the patience runs out, if it does, is there a position that the club is in to do something about that because you've got to have a succession plan. And we spoke about this last season, this succession plan about, oh, we're going to promote from within. Well, that was ripped up with Cathro. Is that still the plan? I don't want to talk about replacing Craig Levine. I want to talk about Craig Levine winning at Pataudry, starting like we started last season, and this frustration dissipating as we go forward. But unfortunately, there are two sides to this story and we haven't seen enough positives so far in pre-season and from the end of last season, it makes us positive about the start of this season. Okay, let's move on to something a little bit more positive. We can't focus too much time on it now uh, as we've waffled on, as we tend to. Uh, But your favourite number eight for Hearts, uh, the wonderfully insightful homework the, that Mark, I can hear him yawning, he's bored that much with his own homework um, <laughs> that Mark put out there. So you're I'm just thinking how many times I've contradicted myself over the last 40 <laughs> minutes or so. It might be a record. Let's, well, we move on, Mark. We move on. Okay, okay. Um, just, just as Celtic did. Um, and then went back, which we'll probably do as well. Anyway, Mark Thompson got in touch and says, Phil Stamp, just because he scored the winner against Hibs at Easter Road, 
in 2002, which sounded a bit like this. Jancic plays it across to Phil Stamp. Stamp, edge of the area. Jancic, Stamp through, chance, shot, goal! Phil Stamp, unbelievable scenes in the Edinburgh Derby! Phil Stamp has scored in the last minute! I have never seen scenes like this in my life! Which, is, of course, was Donkey being as professional as ever on Hearts World <laughs> Duty. I still, I still get the shivers when I hear that. Not because of the commentary, just because of taking me back to oh, yes. yeah. to one of many, many great late showings at Easter Road over the years um, for Hearts. See, sometimes people mention, it's like, oh, it must have been amazing to commentate on... I didn't, obviously, I didn't commentate then, but goals and games I've commented you did those, on. You did the Ulster game. I did. But then I always say, well, no, it was all right, but I would have rather been in with you guys. So I would have said that I remember the stamp one, but I don't envy you. I think you envy the fact that I was behind that goal when it went in <laughs> because it isn't the same. It's it's great commentary. And obviously, I'm sure you enjoy it as much as I do, but there's nothing quite like being behind the goal at Easter Road in a derby when Hearts score. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the games I really miss being a fan is... The away games, the big away games, the derbies especially. I miss being in the away end, um, and that game was incredible. It's still, I've, I've mentioned it before. It's probably the, the only game I think I've been to where I had to. My dad had to phone me afterwards and tell me there'd been a sending off for us because I hadn't even noticed because he obviously got sent off on the way down the tunnel. And he is he's one of those kind of cult hero number eights almost. He was a good player, stamp, but. I think. I thought you were talking about your dad. I'm like, no, Did yeah. your dad wear number eight? <laughs> no, but maybe, maybe. I don't know what number he wore back in the day. Um, but he's one of those where if you look at his heart's career overall, it was certainly not spectacular. But for his moments, and he was that kind of figure, wasn't he? Because he, he was not the most um, athletic of chaps. And I think we already spoke previously in the podcast about the story when he was on the train going to play for Darlington, I think, having mm-hmm. a few tins. So yeah, Phil Stamp was up there, a player who I had on the back of my shirt as well. Uh, Phil Stamp, good shout. Um, Colin S mentions one here. Now, I actually sent you a WhatsApp message after we'd recorded last week saying, I can't believe we spoke at number eight and the first one that popped in my head wasn't this guy, which Colin S says, Rudy Scatchel wore number eight in his first spell. So that pretty much ends the discussion in my head. Honourable mention to Stevie Fulton and I think it's maybe just because Rudy Scatchel in his second spell wore number 19 that it suddenly just slipped my mind that he did, of course, wear number 8. Although Rudy Scatchel was never really a, a traditional number 8, if we want to call him that. Um, but yeah, what, what a first spell. Won the cup and joint top scorer that season. Can't really argue with that. I um, should really have remembered... Because I said last week, I can't remember any number eights off the top of my head. I'm talking about Kenny <laughs> Black and Ian Jordan. Um, I wrote his book. I wrote his biography. Ah, I okay. wrote yep, it with, yep, yep. with Gary Mackay. And I don't know. Maybe it's because when when I first went to the football, he was number ten. And and he as wore, we said last he wore week, five a few times when there was yeah no, yeah yeah, yeah. So. he did he did. Uh, someone pointed out. Um, of course, playing our uh, international central midfielder in central midfield is too obvious when you can play him at right wing back, uh, as as he did under Tommy sure. McLean yes. uh, and a couple others. But Gary Mackay as, uh, did wear number eight, um, as a few of them did. Uh, again, it depends what age you are, I think, because can you compare someone like a Kenny Black or a Gary Mackay with a Rudy Scatchel? You're comparing different eras. It just depends how much you, you like. I mean, Rudy, just first time round, was phenomenal. From the first game at Kilmarnock, uh, the first league game at Kilmarnock, when he went on that scoring run, and it was just like, just give it to Rudy. Put it on his left peg. Boom. Goal. Just, it wasn't just one goal for him or one game. It was a succession of, of games. Whereas Gary was very steady. Uh, Gary at his best. What, what a player he was. Gary Mackay, but Rudy Stamp, a uh, lot, of, lot of, lot of good selections or, or um, nominations we've had. Yeah, Fig Bissett said there can surely be little debate as to our greatest number eight is 640 appearances over 17 years, laid every ounce of his effort and considerable talent on the line in all 640 of them. My word, we could do with them 
in midfield this season. And that's, of course, Gary Mackay. Lorraine Wiseman also said, Gary Mackay, my first Hearts hero. He's not a player that I ever saw for Hearts. Um, I started going to games just after he'd finished up with the Jambo. So you would have seen most of his career, I guess, um, mm-hmm. a lot of games. What, yeah, what, what was he like? Because I, I, I've seen lots of Hearts videos with him playing. I've heard about him. But what was he like from you watching him? Because he's not a player that I really that I saw. I think he was ahead of his time at, at, at spells. He was proactive. Um, I think he scored a lob against Clyde Bank. Uh, we won one nil in late '86. We could have done with more goals that day, but he, he just he, he had a good rapport. He had a great relationship with his teammates on the pitch. Uh, him and him and Robbo, my goodness, they could find each other, or Gary could find Robbo with his eyes closed. Uh, it, it was like a telekinesis. Um, he, he was someone who we would give anything to have that similar type of player in our team right now. L- listen again to the Stevie Fulton piece with, with Cy Ferry. Um, Jim Jeffries' instructions when Stevie was at Tynecastle to his teammates was give the ball to Fulton. And I wouldn't be surprised if Alex McDonald had the same instructions. Just just give the ball to Gary and Gary will make things happen. Could he have gone down south? Yeah. Should he have gone down south? Maybe. Um, but uh, their loss was, was Hart's gain and 640 appearances says it all. Uh, he, he admits that he should have gone down south, but I think we got the benefit of a, a fantastic player and someone who was not only a ball... It wasn't as so much a ball winner, but he was a goal scorer box to box. as well. He was. He was. A, I mean, I'm just thinking him. I'm thinking Colin Cameron. Steve Fulton was more on the left-hand side, but again, a, a playmaker. Just... I don't, I don't know. There's certain things with certain players that I don't think you can teach. You've either got it or you've not. Gary had it. Colin Cameron had it. Paul Hartley had it when he moved central as well. And you can try and teach it, but instinct is, is what he had, and that was maybe his, his, his greatest strength. And for anybody who watched the majority of his career, what we would give for someone like Gary now. Ian Auld says, quite a few legends, cult heroes to choose from. I always admired Robert Tomasek, real classy operator in the midfield. The injury was a horrible way to end his heart spell and career. Another player who I had in the back of a shirt, really liked Tomasek as well, although he was 21, I think, when I had him on the back of a white away top, but did wear eight afterwards. Um, good player and one that Hearts just didn't get the best of, unfortunately, because of the injury. But he was that kind of powerful presence in midfield, had a really good shot on him, um, strong in the tackle, but also good driving forward. I had a lot of time for him, was always one that you felt could have been so different if um, he hadn't been so unfortunate. Yeah, we, we've had a it just It makes it even more annoying that we don't have these type of players these days uh, readily available for Hearts. Your Thomas X, your Thomas Flogels, your Fulton, your Mackay, your... Hartley, your Cameron, they must exist. So let's go and get one. Head next let's, week. let's go and find one. Quick, uh, quick run through some of the mentions. Jenny Jambo says Phil Stamp, no explanation needed, but also the Aguiar's worth a mention. Talked about him last week. Good very, player. Yeah. very classy player in the middle of the park. Again, one who Hearts missed out on for periods because of injury. Um, Mark Wells mentions Gary McKay, Fulton, Rudy. Then we get Stamp and Bruno. So similar. Mentions he does say that Robinson, Boabin, Lee, not as in best number eights, but he says it means it's been ten to fifteen years since we've had a number eight. Heart of the team as well. Um John Clellan says Baggio, obviously in reference to Mr. Fulton. And and Martin T- Taylor actually showed um a little uh, screenshot that showed the number eights that we've had. I think it's possibly from transfer market maybe. Okay. Um, and it shows, uh, I don't think you can really class it until 97, 98, because until, well, till 98, actually, because before then, uh, it wasn't squad numbers. So until 98 to 99, there was no squad numbers. But after that, you got Fulton, Tomashek, Stamp, Skatchel, Aguiar, Black, Robinson, Boabin, Lee, Clare. Jeez, So I would say the last one, two, three, four, anyway... I've probably not really lived up to those that went previous. Ian Black, overall, maybe not, but he had that great end to his Hearts career. So Stevie Fulton wearing eight in the cup final. 
Captain. 27 years, yeah. yeah, captaining the side. 27 years old. He said he was in his prime between 27 and, and 29. Uh, it's, it's just a really good listen. Uh, we, we had Ian Black last week um, with, with Cy Ferry. He's had a lot of kind of ex-jambos on, and every single one of them has spoke fondly about their time with the club. And they've all had so much praise for the fans who... And I know it's frustrating right now. Um, Hearts, I wouldn't say Hearts fans are unique because we only know what it's like to be Hearts fans. We don't know what it's like to be supporters of any other clubs. But what Stevie Fulton was saying, he said, if you give their all, if sorry, if you give your all, they're right behind you. They can spot a trier a mile off. They can also spot someone who doesn't try a mile off. But when they get behind you, he said, there's, there's pretty much no better place and, and Tyne Castle when it's full and everyone's in full voice. That's what we should be aiming for. And there has been the, the positivity, as you kind of uh, succinctly summed up at the beginning, lasted about 45 seconds before we, we went into a kind of doom and gloom. And I, I think as we, we head towards the, the, the kind of end of it as well, there, there has to be a, a positivity. We'd, even if we had the pre-season last year, I don't think we expected the start of the season. So, so it is possible. And rather than saying how many games and how many points before we're seriously questioning whether or not the manager should continue, let's let it play out. I can't urge patience last season and then not have patience my own this season. So let's let this play out for a few games. Let's hope we get more positive uh, thoughts uh, from what we see going forward. Uh, and and we'll, we'll take this week by week and our mood will, as usual, change depending on what happens the previous weekend to our beloved team. Okay, before we go, do we want to look ahead to the Aberdeen game anymore? Or or do you want to make a prediction, Mark? I would rather that their European tie was away from home, so they had to travel to get back. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been a pretty tight... Pataudry's not been the happiest of of hunting grounds of late for hearts where back in the, yeah, back in the day, it's, it's been a, or it was a a good place to, to go. Um, I'm thinking kind of mid nineties. We had a really good record over Aberdeen. I just hope we start well, if it's a three, four, three or, or whatever it is, it might not be the ideal site. I just hope Naismith plays. And for, for anybody that's kind of wondering, why is he still not being announced? It's looking like, from what I understand, um, because his contract ran out at the end of June, he was entitled to, to pretty much an extra month's pay. Um, £150,000. Uh, yeah, think, equated yeah. to about 150 grand. So there's no point in just giving that up um, when, as an unemployed player, I think he gets a month's pay uh, to, to tide him over. Um, not that he needs it, but you know what I mean. Hearts wouldn't be wouldn't be paying him 150 grand for a month's work. So I think what you'll see, we're recording this on uh, on Wednesday the 31st. Signed tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, seriously, I, I think either Thursday or Friday, there'll be an, an official announcement. There'll be the transfer klaxon from the, uh, the Hearts Twitter account um, that Stevie Naismith has indeed finalised his move. I think it's all, it's all been agreed pretty much. It just, uh, un, until midnight tonight, your time, um, in the UK, that's when his his kind of agreement, including 150 for the the the, the kind of month uh, of July. Once the midnight, um, once the clock strikes midnight on the 1st of August, I would fully expect over the next 48 hours, Stephen Naismith uh, to be a, a fully fledged Hearts player, and that will begin the positivity for the new season. I would like to see us take the game to Aberdeen a little bit more. They are the side who, I guess, we want to compete with, I think. I know Kilmarnock finished above them last season. Get the feeling that that will not be, um, that'll be a bit of a, a one-off, shall we say, under Steve Clark. But Aberdeen consistently have been the best of the rest outside either Celtic when Rangers weren't around. They did well, obviously, when Rangers first came up, but they are seen as, I guess, the most consistent performing side over the last few years outside of Celtic, certainly, and now, I guess, outside of Celtic and Rangers. That's who we want to compete with. I don't just want to go there, set up shop, and try and hope that we can scrape a draw. A draw is a decent result, but I'd rather go and give them a little bit more of a game, and maybe I'd be delighted if we came away with a 0-0 or a 1-1, but I don't just want to go there, set up shop, put everyone behind the ball, because 
we are not we're we're not world beaters, but we're not that behind Aberdeen that that's what we have to do. That we just have to go there and hope that they can't score. I'm going to give you a two part question. Yeah. One, when was our last meaningful win, at like one that actually counted? Um, and the other one was that wasn't our last win there. When was that? And who scored in an end of season kind of kickabout? The well, without looking, I remember the meaningless one was Dowda scoring. Yep, Abiola Dowda. Um, yep. End of season. Thursday night, I think. Stupidly. It was. Um, one nil win. Deflect. Uh, free kick was saved. Actually tapped in the rebound. Um, meaningful. I'm going to guess it was my first commentary game, which was Aberdeen one Hearts three in 2013 when we were fighting to try and claw back that minus 15 points deficit good effort it was indeed um and we only started scoring after they had a man sent off yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll take that yeah just it's not until you actually go into it and see how poor our recent record is at Pitodri. it's like they've been classed as a kind of trip to ibrox or a trip to celtic park and that oh if we get something it's a bonus we should be good enough to get at least a point. Why not? I guess we might not have a goal, but come on, let's not be defeatist about this. That that record needs changing. That's not good enough at Petodre. Yeah, and Aberdeen struggled quite often last season at Petodre towards the end of the season. They drew Kilmarnock, drew St Mirren, beat by Hamilton, drew Livingston. So they often struggle, struggled at home, I think, in front of the Petodre support. Don't tend to struggle against us, unfortunately. Hopefully that will change on Sunday, um, of course, Hearts playing on Sunday because of Aberdeen's Europa League exploits. Um, we, will, we will be back after that game, hopefully with some more positivity. Before we go, I'm going to quickly run through something I want to um, do a bit of promotion for, which is a war of two halves, which is the terrific play, the brilliant play about the Hearts team in 1914-15, which is back for the Edinburgh Festival this year. If you haven't been to it, because it was on last year, then I really recommend it. And it'll be Hearts fans listening to this, but it's good even if you want to take someone who's not a Hearts fan or a football fan. It's actually really good. Not a stage play as such. It's walking around Tynecastle, terrific performances along the way. Um, starts in the fans' bar. You get taken uh, into areas of Tynecastle that you're not normally able to get to as the public, into the dressing room, etc. You go pitch side. Um, they even have a trench prepared on the concourses outside, and it ends in the Memorial Garden. If you can get to it, I really recommend it. It's actually funny and quite emotional at times, but really good depiction of the Hearts team in 1914-15, not just about what they did on the pitch, but also what they had to do when they went to war, obviously. So... Um, I'd recommend going to that. You can go onto the website and get tickets. I think it's www.awaroftohalves.com or you can go on their Twitter page, which is at HeartMcCray. It's on between the 7th of August and the 26th of August. Daily shows at half three, six and half eight and some one o'clock shows. So uh, yeah, have a look. Go to it if you've not been to it. I might actually go again this year, even if I, even though I went last year. Um, really good show. Really good subject matter, good performances all around. There you go. Um, over to you, Mark. Homework? Yeah, yes. some, some homework for you this week. It's quite simple. Your favourite memory of an away day in Aberdeen with one <laughs> caveat, the football is not included. Oh, okay. Favourite away day in Aberdeen? I want stories. I want tales. Doesn't involve between three o'clock and five o'clock. I'm not interested in the football. Okay, can it be something that happened at the match, but not to do with the game, like in the stand? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, of yeah. course. Just nothing to do with what happened on the pitch. Okay. It can be in the stand. It can be getting a minibus with Pennycook Hearts with Ian Hunter, who went for a curry on the way up and farted all the way down, and there were no windows in the minibus. We stopped <laughs> off at Forfar, and he had loads of beers that just compounded the pumpage on the way back, and it was just a fog <laughs> of of just stink on the way down Lovely. horrific horrific um if you're having dinner while eating this or have just eaten um apologies for that but aberdeen was always the trip you look forward to and i'm sure those going up this weekend <laughs> everything else will be fine except the football so that's your homework for this week your favorite aberdeen memories that didn't involve what happened on the pitch so let us know what happened. Could be the weekend you spent up there for the for the game, before the game, after the game, during the game, but in the stands, not what happened on the pitch. 
So yeah, give us your favourite Aberdeen memories. We'll be back next week to review the thumping and spectacular victory from Craig Levine's expansive and progressive <laughs> side at Petodre, <laughs> um, which will stir hope of another title challenge, which we will end in September or October. Anyway, we'll see you next time. <laughs>